John chapter 11, just uh, two other announcements I want to make uh, mention. Tonight we do have um, Luke and Charlotte Crockett with us, who are missionaries that are sent out of our church. Of course, Luke grew up here under with his uh, dad and his mom, uh, Pastor Lee Crockett and his brothers. And uh, so they'll be back with us this evening. And then after the service, uh, we are going to have a, a dessert-type fellowship together in the fellowship hall. I know uh, several of you will be in the Awana program and won't be able to be in here in the service, but we'd like for you to be able to see and welcome um, Luke and Charlotte and interact with them and fellowship with them. So we'll have that right after the service. And then uh, coming up on January the 29th, we are going to have a baptism service uh, here in our church. So if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've never followed him in believer's baptism, we want to encourage you to do that and make your profession public and obedience to the Lord's command. And so if you um, haven't followed the Lord in baptism and like to talk to us about that, you can see me or stop by the church office and see Nicole. Um, or if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we'd love to talk with you about how you can know Christ uh, as your Savior, uh, even in that. John chapter 11, up to this point, uh, really, we've had uh, these 11 chapters have covered most of the ministry time of the life of Christ. Of course, going back to John chapter 1, talking about um, his eternality and then moving through very quickly into the ministry years of Jesus. And when we transition uh, to John chapter 12, we're really going to be transitioning over the next 10 or so chapters into just the last week of the life of Christ. And I'm excited to jump into those chapters as much as I've been these first 11 chapters. But um, over the next few weeks in the month of January, we'll be going through John chapter 11. And then there coming up the first Sunday of February, uh, we'll be jumping into John chapter 12 and spending the rest of our time looking at that last uh, week, those last days of our Savior's time here on earth. John chapter 11, remember with me, John 20, John told us that he's given us these things, he's written these things, that we uh, might know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that knowing that we would believe and have life through him. And uh, so those, um, he's given us seven signs or seven miracles to point to the deity of Jesus Christ and to prove who he is. And in John chapter 11, we find uh, the last miracle there. Going back to chapter 2, we have the water that was turned into wine. Uh, there, the second one was uh, the healing of the nobleman's son in John 4. The third was the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, excuse me, in John 5. Uh, the fourth was the healing or the feeding, excuse me, of the 5,000 in John 6. Then we have the walking on the water there in John 6. The sixth was the healing of the blind man in John 9 that we looked at recently. And now we come to the seventh and last sign here in John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus. Let's pray and we'll jump right in. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to study your word and, and Lord, for the work that it does in our lives. And I pray today that we'd be open to the leading of your spirit, to the working of the spirit in our life, whatever the spiritual need is, whether it's to trust Christ as our savior or uh, to forsake some kind of sin or confess sin or, or to deal with personal relationships, whatever you show us, Lord, may we commit today to following you in obedience to your work in our heart and life today. And we thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us now. Now, in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. We've all heard people make a statement like this, that there's only, there's only two certain things in life, taxes and death, right? We've all heard um, people make those type of statements or something like that. But the truth is there are many things uh, in our life that are certain or there are facts uh, to life. And here in John chapter 11, we're going to see three facts or realities about life. And I don't want you uh, in this, the whole story, uh, the whole circumstances of what's going on to miss three very important parts of the story, the lives of the people there, but also these three uh, aspects of life for them are three aspects that we have and deal with on a day-to-day basis as, as well. These are personal um, aspects of our life, intimate aspects. You know, a lot of times we hear about uh, shootings uh, in society, maybe, maybe weather emergencies like an earthquake or a hurricane or something like that, and, and it kind of saddens us for just a moment, but it's really, uh, really doesn't impact us or make really that big of an impact in our life because it's kind of something that happens out there or away. And, and unfortunately, in our day, we're hearing about it more and, and more in our society uh, today. Just uh, this week, I got a, a text uh, from Brother Matt, and um, he said, um, just want to let you know I was in the back of Walgreens and had no idea the store was being robbed at the front of Walgreens. And so Matt was in the back of Walgreens, and from the time that he went to the back to the time that he came up front, somebody had come in and robbed Walgreens and had left. And he had texted me and Mr. Plue were on the text and Mr. Plue asked if he was the getaway driver. And um, <laughs> if you know Matt, he was not the getaway driver, okay? And I texted back and I said, I said, listen, they'd still be trying to get out of the parking lot if Matt was driving. There. I mean, they'd still be trying to get away if Matt was trying to drive that. Uh, but you know, when those circumstances become uh, more personal. They happen to us or, or to our family. Uh, they become more real and they have a big impact on our life. And so don't read through this passage and think about the people that, uh, all the time, the people that um, it happened to then. But I really want you to see the impact that this story has on us today in the day in which we live. And so this morning, I want us to see the implications for you and for me. And so the first fact of life, the first fact of life I want you to see is the idea of relationships. The idea of relationships. They are a reality for us and they are necessary. Notice back with me at this passage, if you would. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. And so right away, our mind can be go right to the, the sickness and the circumstances around Lazarus. And we can miss kind of the intimate, personal relationships that we see in this story. First of all, there's brothers and sisters. And then in verse two, it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, talking about Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus, notice the words, loved. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. First of all, I want to bring your attention to a relationship with 
Jesus, to a relationship with Jesus. It's obvious here in this passage that uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and this family was special to Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us here they lived in Bethany, which was a few miles outside of Jerusalem. Uh, Just some background, it's believed that Martha, um, based on these stories, was the oldest. Maybe she uh, was the one that owned the home because it oftentimes refers to Martha's home, and um, we don't know uh, for sure, but many scholars believe that Mary was the middle child and that Lazarus was the younger or the youngest brother of both of them. And then it's interesting, I don't want to miss this. In verse 2, he talks about this is Mary that anointed Jesus with oil. And the reason that statement is interesting is he's referring to this, but this story has not yet happened yet. Um, It hasn't happened until we get to John chapter number 12, particularly in verse 3. But John, I believe, wanted us to understand the type of relationship these people had with Jesus. The love that they had for for him. But then in verse 5, we see the emphatic statement of Jesus' love for them. He loved, the Bible says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary, and he loved Lazarus. And so then we come to verse number six, and the Bible tells us that when he had then heard, therefore, I want to bring your attention to that word, therefore, in verse number six. In the Greek language, that, that verse actually starts with the word, therefore. And so the idea literally in the translation would be that Jesus loved Martha, he loved Mary, and he loved Lazarus. Therefore, based on his love, because of this, he waited two days. He waited two days. Sometimes, you know, God has something for us to learn. Sometimes God has something for us to learn, and so we need to wait on him. And it might, like this story, take four days. It might be a week, and it might even be years in our life, but we need to learn to wait on him. Now, the truth is, is we um, wait based on our trust or our relationship with, with Jesus, you know, some people can endure a lot of things in life, in their, in their life, and, and really you can see the trust that they have based on their relationship with Jesus Christ. Other people are very weak when it comes to their spiritual life or their relationship with Jesus is not a priority in their life. You know, sometimes people trust men rather than God. Isn't that sad? They would trust men rather than God. And, and based on their relationship, they would trust a, a human, a person, whether it, a parent or, or unfortunately, we've seen many times people trust their friends or their buddies or their peers more than they do God himself and, and, and put their trust in him. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus had this strong relationship with, with them. And so they sent to Jesus. Why? Because they knew that Jesus loved them. But God was working in the circumstances. And they didn't know what he was doing. And they didn't know why he didn't come right away. But they, they sent word to him because they trusted him. But Jesus tells him, based on his love for them, he made them wait. Can I ask you today, are you willing to wait on God? 
trusting that he loves you and has your best and his glory at stake. He knows what you're going through and he knows where you are and he knows your need. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible are found in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. The Bible says, have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding, get that word, his understanding is unsearchable. Basically, the idea is nothing takes God uh, by surprise. God is, is never shocked by the circumstances of your life or the situation that you're going through today. The, whether it's hardship or a joy or celebration, God knows what you're going through. But the Bible goes on to say, he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We as Christians need to learn to be able to wait on God. But that starts with having a relationship with with him. Many people call out to God and cry out to God and they can't wait because they don't know Christ as their savior. They, they just want God to do something in their life and then, and then they, they, they scream about their circumstances and then they go out about their, their normal life. But unfortunately, many Christians do the same thing because that relationship with God is not a priority. It's not personal. It's not intimate. Who did Mary and Martha send for? when Lazarus was sick and about to die. It wasn't the human physicians in their community. It wasn't their, it wasn't their friends. And they weren't going to Google and to the internet trying to find out what Lazarus' problems were and, and how the, what remedies they could do to, to fix it. The Bible tells us they sent to Jesus. They sent to Jesus. Why did they send to him? Because they knew that Jesus loved him and that he loved them. I want you to don't miss that. They knew that Jesus loved them. This is very important. Look with me back at the verse. It says here in verse number three, therefore his sister sent unto him saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. They didn't plead with God or with Jesus based on Lazarus's good works or even their own good works. Many of us would say, God, you know that I love you. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, you know all the good things that I've done and all the charitable things that I've I've done and, and how I serve in the church and how I work and labor and I share the gospel. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Many times we, be, we plead with God based on our abilities, our resources, our works. But they didn't do anything like that. They, they, they sent to Jesus and they said, the one that you love. They understood that Jesus loves them. Oftentimes we sing that little song, Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Can I ask you this morning, do we truly know that? Do we believe that? Is the Bible's acknowledgement of the love of God enough for us in our life, or do our circumstances make us question God? See, in one breath, we'll, we'll sing that, that little song and praise God about his love, and then our circumstances don't go the way that we want them, and then we begin to question. 
And so the truth is, is, is God's word enough that he loves us? One of the things that we, we get out of this passage is that Jesus loved being with these people and he loved fellowshipping with them. Three times we see, uh, or three scenes of the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, we have where Christ is with these people. In Luke chapter 10, we have the time when Martha is upset. If you'll remember with me, um, she's laboring and working, and, and Mary goes and sits at the feet of Jesus, and Martha comes in and, and, and questions God, why are, Jesus, why are you letting her do this? Make her come and, and help me. And Jesus says, hey, listen, Mary understands what is needed. Mary's doing that which is most needed uh, in her life. Then we have this passage in John chapter 11, and then as I've already mentioned in John chapter 12, we'll see the passage where Jesus is there with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Mary comes and anoints his, his feet. So we have these three scenes, but the truth is I know that there have been many other times when Jesus spent with these people. It also reminds me of Luke chapter 2 when the Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with, with God and man. And what a beautiful picture for us to understand how Jesus loved people and spent time with people and had an intimate relationship with them. And that same relationship is the relationship that he wants with you and with me. He cares about us. In the same way that he cares about Martha. And so we can pray to God, 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 you know that I love you, but more importantly, I know that you love me and you care about the circumstances that I'm going through in my life. And, and God, I just want to, to pray to you based on your love and care and compassion for me. Jesus loves you without a doubt. Jesus loves you. Don't ever miss that point. Don't ever doubt that truth, that reality. Jesus loves you. And we should praise God and thank him for that every day. Not only do I want you to see Jesus' relationship with these people, but I want you to think about our relationship with others. Our relationship with others. I want you to go back to, to verse number three uh, there and see this fact that Jesus loved them. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Don't miss it. They knew. They knew that Jesus loved them. Can I ask you, do people know that you love them? Do people know that you love them? Hey, listen, we say that we're to be conformed into the image of Christ. We're to be more like Christ every day as we grow spiritually. And we're to be, Jesus is our example about how we are to live our life. And so right here in this passage, we see that people that interacted with Jesus knew that he loved them. I wonder if people question our love, our love for them. Or do we just take and never give or serve? Do people, um, do people easily frustrate us and cause us to react? You know, love is a very important part of this passage. Our love for Jesus, but also our love for other people as, as well. And we need to look at this example and realize, you know, in the same way that Christ showed love to his disciples and the love to people like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, so we should be showing love to people that we interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. But you know the amazing thing is? 
Jesus did not love them for what they could do for him. Jesus did not love them for what they could do for him. Jesus did not love them because they were perfect people. Jesus loved them despite the fact that they were sinners and even sinned against him. And guess what? He was ultimately going to go to the cross for the sins of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And yet he loved them. That's the same love that God has for you and me. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us even in our sinfulness. Hey, listen, nobody's perfect. People are going to hurt you and, and they're going to you know, upset you and cause problems in your life and frustrate you at times. That's not a reason to cast them off. And, and really, that's times when we should try to love them even more and, and show the love of God to them even more. And so the first reality of life is relationships are a part of life. You know, you have a relationship with God. Whether you're a Christian or not here today, you have a relationship with God. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're part of the family of God. And that's the relationship that you have. A heavenly father to his children. Isn't that beautiful to think about? But if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you're the enemy of God. And you are going to experience the wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. That's the relationship that you have. Martha and Mary had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can do the same thing. If we'll accept him by faith, we could have a personal relationship with him and a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. My friend, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, may today be that day in your life. But relationships with other people should be a priority uh, in our life. Not based on what they can do for us, but based really on God's love for us should be the way that we love other people as Jesus did. The second fact or reality of life I want you to see is sickness. Sickness. The truth is, is sickness, or we can even say trials, death, tragedy, these affect all of us. This is a major emphasis here in this passage. Five of the first six verses reiterate the sickness of Lazarus. Notice back with me, verse number one. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus. Verse number two, it was that Mary which um, anointed the Lord with ointment, which wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Verse three, uh, therefore his sister sent it to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Verse number four, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Verse number five is the one verse that doesn't emphasize. Verse six, when he had heard, therefore, that as he was sick. So over and over we see this sickness. Now this sickness had a purpose. And we're going to see that here in just a moment. But Mary and Martha had no idea what purpose uh, this sickness had in their life. You know, even people that love God will deal with sickness and death in this world. We live in a fallen world. We live in fallen bodies, and every follower of God has dealt with sickness and death, and yet oftentimes it happens to us, and we question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And that's not necessarily bad to ask that question. The problem is, is when we're charging God, and we're challenging God because of this, not wanting information, but basically blaming God for the circumstances of our, of our life. 
You know, we'll quote oftentimes that and make statements like, well, you know, I deserve, because I'm a sinner, I deserve hell, but by the grace of God, I'm saved and all that type of stuff. But it's as if we oftentimes act as if we deserve better than we are, better than we have. We deserve um, not to be affected by sickness or illness and, and trials or difficulties in our life. But we see here that even people that God loves deals with sickness and, and death. And God will deal with us according to his plan. God will deal with us according to his plan. You know, Jesus had a different plan than Mary and Martha that day. They sent to Jesus, and we'll see in the coming weeks, she says, Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus would not have died. But the reality is if she truly understood, um, Jesus didn't even have to be there, right? We've seen that in the past. Jesus tells the nobleman, go, your son is healed. And what happens? He gets word that in that time his son, his son was healed. Jesus didn't even have to show up. He could just speak it. But she had a different plan. She wanted Jesus to come and, and heal her, her brother. But God had a different plan. And oftentimes, we pray out to God in our tragedies, our trials, our struggles, our sickness, and we want a certain outcome, but God has a different plan. I learned a long time ago that God's plans are better than my plans. Even when I don't understand it, even when I don't like it, from a human perspective, God's plans are better than my plans. God's plans for my life are better than my plans that I have laid out for my life. And sometimes, man, I'm heading in a direction and I'm going and everything's working out great. And man, I hit a brick wall and something comes into my life and makes me take a, a, a turn and go a total different direction. And you know what? That's okay if that's God's plan. But many people become bitter and angry and, and frustrated with that. And we can't handle that because it's not my plan. Because our relationship with God is weak and, and, and frail, and so we don't really understand that truth practically. Mentally, we might know that, but practically, putting that into practice, it's a, it's a different story. But God's plans are different than our... But I also want to encourage you, don't buy into this, this false teaching that we call the prosperity gospel in our world today. People say, well, if God loves us, then nothing will go wrong in my life. We'll never be sick. We'll never have loss. We'll, um, we'll never do without. We know that this is not true. And really, the Bible teaches this is not true over and over again. I was, when I was in Virginia, I was dealing with my back problems and have, getting ready to have my first surgery. And a lady came to me and she said, you know, um, if you just had a little more faith in God, you wouldn't have back problems. If you just have more faith in God, when you, before you go in for your surgery, he would heal your back. And uh, it's as if because I'm a Christian and I have faith in God, I should never have any aches and pains. And, you know, but the truth is, is when you do stupid stuff and you're in three car accidents and you play football and you do all these things, guess what happens? It takes a toll on your body, right? And you're going to have problems and aches and pains. That's just the reality of life. You know, you're stupid enough to get on the roof and jump off and break your legs and say, well, I don't understand. I believe God and I don't know why I have broken legs because you're foolish enough to do that. But we act as if these bad things should not happen to us. And unfortunately, there's preachers that preach that mindset. But the Bible really tells us, for those of us that love God, we're going to suffer persecution. But we know that it rains on the just and the, on the unjust. We know that people in the world have problems. We're going to have problems. But the great thing about being a Christian is that God walks through those times with you. And he's there to help you and guide you and, and to even protect you through them. 
Understand that God loves you even though you're dealing with this sickness or suffering. But don't let the circumstances of your life cause you to doubt that. Trust God. Sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Believe the Bible, but listen, we all have experienced the love of God in our life. We've seen it. When we've, life's been going great, we see it. But listen, you, God loves you even when life isn't going great. He's still there and he still cares about you. Sickness is a reality in life. So the question is, is how are we going to react to that? Are we going to react in faith? And maybe in that moment, in that time, we don't know, like Mary and Martha had no idea what Jesus was doing and why he didn't show up. Maybe we don't know what God is doing. And maybe from a human perspective, we'll never know what God is doing. But what we believe is that God has a plan and a purpose. And he's working all things out together for good. You know, I like that passage. You hear me quote it a lot. One thing that hit me a couple weeks ago is, God works all things out together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. God's good and my good might not be the same thing. I figured that out. And you know, sometimes God's good, from a human perspective, might not be too great for me. You think about that for just a moment. I have a family member that passes away, but while they're in the hospital, they lead somebody to Christ. God's good was that individual would be witnessed to by that family member and they would trust Christ. But yet my family member would die. And many would say, well, well, God said all things are gonna work out together for good. This isn't good for me. Well, maybe just, for, just maybe it's not about you. But maybe it's about God's plan and God's glory. And I have to come to the place in my life where I simply believe in him. And that starts with our first reality, relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That relationship means I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him no matter what happens to me in my life. And I'm so grateful that all things are going to work together for good. And listen, if I have to suffer for God's good and God's glory, then you know what I should do? Praise the Lord. That I get to be a part of his plan. I get to be a part of what he's doing here in this life. But listen, I know it's easy to say sickness is a reality in life, but then you go through it. That's why you have to make sure that that relationship with Jesus Christ is a priority day by day, that that is a priority in your life. But the third point here, the third reality, and this I think encompasses all of this, glory, that's the word, glory. And here's the point, God will be glorified. That's a reality of life. God will be glorified. Notice what Jesus said in verse four. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Understand, he wants to be glorified through you and through me. He wants to be glorified through our lives. Paul said, um, 
talking about his own life there in Galatians chapter 1, uh, reiterates that God was glorified through his life. He says, listen, I was the guy that persecuted the church, but all the people glorified God when they heard that I got saved. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 24, there at the end of the chapter, he says they glorify God because of me, but basically the idea is because I accepted Christ and my life was changed. You know, your testimony of salvation can bring God glory. You witnessing and just sharing your story brings God glory. But Paul goes on in 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, he says, Wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all good pleasure and of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. So basically what Paul says is God is working out his good pleasure and his purpose in your life that he might be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our Lord and Lord Jesus Christ. Basically everything I just said, God is using your life, the circumstances of your life to work out his purpose and to cause him to be glorified. And we praise the Lord for that. He wants to be glorified through you and me and he can be glorified through all the circumstances of our life. Understand that. He can be glorified through all the circumstances of our life. It's easy to praise God when we get the new job or we get the promotion or our kid, you know, wins an award, praise the Lord, or we are sick and then we get better. It's easy to praise God and glorify him in those moments. But the truth is, is God can be glorified when you have that car accident, when you lose the job, when somebody in your family passes away. God should be and can be glorified in those moments and maybe even more in those moments than in the good times of life. Because people truly see your faith and your trust and your relationship with Jesus Christ when you're going through the hard times more than they do when you're going through the good times. Because everybody knows it's easy to rejoice and put a smile on your face and say praise God when life is good. It's a different circumstances when life is hard and we're going through the struggles and the trials of our life. He can be glorified through all circumstances. And then finally, when we glorify God with our life, people will come to see who he is. Notice what it says back in the verse, in verse number four. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What Jesus is saying is, people are gonna see who I am. People are gonna see who I am. You know, we, we talk about sharing the gospel and pointing people to Christ and those type of things. But you know, some of the greatest opportunities that we have to really point people to Christ are when we're going through the difficult times of our life. Conversations. People come and ask you, hey, how do you, how do you stay cheerful in the middle of this hardship? I mean, how, how are you still serving God? How are you still faithful? How are you still praying? How are you still, you know, doing all these things and you have a smile on your face? What a great opportunity in the middle of that difficulty and that trial in your life to point people to Jesus Christ. And Mary and Martha here in just a few days are gonna have a great opportunity to speak about their relationship with Jesus Christ and how he raised their brother from the dead. But you know, even during these four days, even there in these four days, they have a great opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ and say who he is. Jesus said, listen, through this circumstance in life, through this circumstance in life, 
I'm gonna have, they're, they're going to have opportunity to glorify me. People are going to know who I am. And this is the, one of the great purposes that John says, I've given you this miracle so that you might know that Jesus, who Jesus is, believing and might have eternal life. That's what John says. And the same thing can be true in our life. God can receive great glory. And so listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're going to go through in life. But I hope that in the, at the beginning, in the middle, and the end of that circumstance, your focus and your goal in your life would be to glorify God, to point people to Jesus Christ and to the eternal salvation that they can have in him. Hey, there's a lot of truth in life, a lot of facts about life, a lot of realities that we're going to face. Relationships, you might be here today and say, you know what, I don't like people. I don't want to have relationships, but listen, it's a reality of life. Everybody in here has a mother and a father. Many of you have children and grandparents. You all have friends. You have coworkers. There's relationships that you have. They're just a, a part of life. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with God. It's either you're part of his family or you're his enemy. These are realities of life. These are things that we deal with regularly and, and they're a part of who we are. I hope that you're part of God's family and you've accepted Christ as your savior. And I hope that you exhibit the love that Christ had for these people to the people in your life. Relationships, reality of life. Sickness, tragedy, hardships. These are realities of life that we're gonna face. I hope in the middle of them, you're gonna glorify God. Hey, listen, God's gonna be glorified. He said, when, when they were told to be quiet, what did Jesus say? Hey, listen, if they don't speak, guess what's gonna happen? The rocks would speak out. God is gonna be glorified, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what? God wants to be glorified through your life, through your life today and what a great privilege and opportunity. In the middle of this wonderful miracle that we're going to examine over the next couple of weeks, don't miss these personal, intimate aspects of life that we have. And don't forsake them. And I was thinking about this this week. You know, really, this, this makes up who we are. This makes up who we are. Daily, we deal with our relationships Daily, we deal with the struggles of living in a fallen world, and daily, we should be glorifying God with our life.